Welcome to Data Brew by Databricks with Denny and Brooke. This series allows us to explore various topics in the data and AI community. Whether we're talking about data engineering or data science, we will interview subject matter experts to dive deeper into these topics. While we're at it, we'll be enjoying our morning brew. I'm Brooke Wenig, Machine Learning Practice Lead at Databricks. And my name is Denny Lee. I'm a developer advocate at Databricks. For this episode, we'd like to introduce Laura Miner, a senior enterprise data manager at Columbia Sportswear to discuss how Columbia transitioned from data warehouses to data lakes, achieving a 70% reduction in pipeline creation time and reduced ETL workload times. Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field of big data? Hi, I'm Laura Miner, and I've been working at Columbia for about uh, nine years now. And during that time, we've done a lot of the traditional BI reporting and a few years ago, we decided that we needed to make a change up in our platform. Columbia was moving towards the cloud and was initiating a lot of, of cloud movement. And at the same time, we decided that we needed to do some work on our enterprise data warehouse. So that's what spurred us to look at a cloud solution. Very interesting. So I think as a follow-up to that, we would love to know what are the business problems that you're trying to solve now that you're migrating all of your workloads into the cloud? Yeah, so traditionally we've done a lot of BI reporting across the company, whether that be um, looking at sales across the company, forecasting, inventory, purchasing, and much of what we're doing today is the same, just on a bigger level. So with uh, coming into the cloud, we've been able to uh, have different business units be more involved with what kind of data is coming in and, and what we're doing with that data to create our data assets. And at the same time, we've been able to bring on a couple of analytic teams that are now starting to get into more types of analytics like um, churn rates and inventory turnovers and lifetime value of a customer. So it's really exciting to see uh, the, the movement that we're just starting to see now towards that, now that some of those basic BI, you know, problems are solved and people have access to their data like they've never had before. They never had that in our previous platform and they do today. And uh, so a lot of business involvement, like we did not have previously. So that's been really exciting for us. That sounds really interesting. Uh, from the sounds of it, you broke down a lot of silos by switching to the cloud. What were the kinds of data platforms that you were using before that basically had created those silos? Like what motivated you to migrate outside of just, you know, breaking those things down? So we had a pretty traditional platform with a, you know, um, an appliance model on a, on a data warehouse that was in a data center. Uh, that was, you know, a kind of a shared control with that company and us. And then we had a very popular ETL tool. So it was, you know, very much like we have all these, this group of developers that know how to use this ETL tool. And then we have these people that create data assets and this group works together to move that data in. And, you know, from all the conferences I attended and everything else six, eight, nine years ago, we had the same problem as everybody else. You know, the business would come and say, here's my requirements and I want this report. And then we would spend six to nine months creating that report. And then by the time it got to them, they were like, mm, it's not quite what I wanted. And you would have to go back to the drawing board and move that through. And that process was very slow. And also that, you know, we couldn't get them that direct access to their data. 
And so really what needs to happen in my experience with BI is the business has to see the data before they can tell you what they want to do with it. You know, they, they want to be able to look at it and manipulate it and get some ideas of what they can do with it before they create this great report that they're going to use and broadcast out to, you know, a thousand users. So uh, what I would say is one of the benefits now is we can um, provide that access. So before, you know, our platform is that we do all of our compute on data lake. So, you know, in, in BI reporting, you can create a relational model, you can create a dimensional model, and then you can put reporting on top of that. We create all of those models, which, you know, we call models or assets. Um, we create all of those assets out on the data lake, and then they get pushed up to the data warehouse where the reporting yeah, takes over. So the BI layer is actually on that data warehouse, but we can provide access for the business onto that uh, data lake area before it ever gets to the warehouse, allow them to take a look at it and see what they want to do with that data and uh, provide some better requirements for how they're going to slice and dice it before we waste time doing that. So there's much more collaboration and all of that is happening on the Databricks platform. So, you know, we have a resource where they have read access, they can log on, access this data, take a look at it, uh, work with us if they, you know, we have a lot of SMEs in our company that know how to do queries and such. So they can, they can get on there and do that. Uh, it's another benefit of the Databricks platform is, you know, SQL is a, is a standard for what, 30, 40 years, right? So you have a lot of people that know how to use that. Nobody, you know, a business user doesn't have to know Python or Scala in order to come on and, and, and mess around with data on Databricks. They just have to know SQL and a lot of business needs do. We get them on there, they can take a look and we can move forward with that better collaboration between the business and us. And that's what I see really growing right now, the number of um, requests that we have for that direct access to that data on, on, on Databricks so that they can get in there before we push it to a, a dimensional BI layer. So I love all the enthusiasm about Databricks, especially the unsolicited enthusiasm. Um, how did you convince the business leaders that they needed to look at the data themselves before they could ask the question about what they want to use data to solve? I don't think we had to convince them. They had been asking. <laughs> we have not been able to provide a platform, you know? So I think everybody recognized what that problem was or, or that, you know, this, this process of producing, you know, when we're creating certain sales reports, they have to be dead on, you know, they want to see them within a dollar <laughs> very, very, those very tight requirements. Um, and so when you're doing that kind of reporting, it makes it difficult to be more flexible and more agile and quick, right? So if, if we can get them, you know, we all knew that if we could get them that access up front and, and then what, by the time we get to that tighten down layer, uh, it, we can be more agile doing that when we can do more experimentation before we ever get there. And we, there wasn't a hard push. Um, and the, the business involvement is happening naturally. We're not soliciting. It's just kind of being starting to be part of the process. And they're asking, you know, can I get on and look at it before we do this? And you know, we're like, great. Yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> so what were the biggest issues with the migration to the cloud? Were they security? Were they technical? Were they political? What were some of the factors 
that people were opposed to when transitioning to a cloud-based solution? Yeah. So, you know, what I, sometimes when I'm talking, so Columbia did it a little bit different in that we moved everything to the cloud. We didn't take a piece. We didn't say, hey, we're going to do these log files and we're going to move those to the clouds or we're going to just do our, our data science. Um, we're going to move that to the cloud. And uh, we, we did the whole thing. So we decided to get off our on-prem expensive, that was going to be an expensive hardware upgrade that we didn't want to do. And we just moved everything. And so what that means is all of that data, <laughs> there's a lot of data that you use for your BI reporting across the supply chain. And all of that now is in the cloud. Um, and so when we did that, uh, yeah, we had some surprises. And that's one of the things I talk about is Tech is tech. Eventually, you're going to figure it out. You know, we're all in technology. We've been doing it for a long time. You've got people on your team that are going to do that. Here's the things that we didn't, that kind of caught us. First of all, was that security layer. So that security layer ties in directly with data governance. And so about the same time that we started moving in, we started a data governance team. And really, when we were moving all this data over, there were a lot of uh, we put together, you know, communications and such about how this data was going to be open. Because previously on that other platform, we had a report. These 10 people had access to that report. These 50 people, these 1,000 people, whatever it was, but it was kind of controlled. You had to get, there was process to get access. Now that we have all this data that we've provided kind of open to report access to, the business came in and, you know, there's concerns about that. How do we define something as restricted? How do we make sure the right people have access to consumer data so that we're in line with laws that are out there? And then how do we make sure that we're in line with, you know, just do we want our sales data to be available to everybody in the company or, or do we want to restrict that? So a lot of conversations about restricting data or open data um, that went all the way to the top at Columbia. And so when you start talking about that, it's like, whoa, there is a lot of talking and a lot of coming together that had to happen to, to make sure that we were meeting everybody's expectations and then putting that in line with your security model. So our data, you know, our data lake security or our data warehouse security and our Power BI security, there's security in all of these different layers. And all of those different layers have to meet those agreements that we've made for data security. So whether they be from the security team because of uh, laws or, or protections, or they be from the business team because, hey, I don't want to have access to gross margin for everybody in the company. So we, you know, those two things coming together, uh, a lot of time spent there and not as clear as tech, right? We can get past the tech, that's, you know, you're going to have your problems and we're going to struggle through that. But when you start talking about what is the CEO versus the COO versus the CIO versus my boss want to do with data and open to, you know, who is it open to, then ooh, that's a lot more, that's, that's a much different subject area and a lot harder. No, that's very true, actually. It, it, exactly to your point, the, it's not the tech that usually bogs you down, it's the process around it that usually bogs you down. And so I, I'm glad you provided a little bit of light to that. Um, so switching over to the tech, just because that way it's a little easier on all of us to discuss right now. Um, 
how long did it take for you to build this new system? Um, you've alluded to the fact that you basically were building it on top of data lakes, right? So why don't you describe a little bit about what that system is now and you know how long did it take to build it? Yeah, it's really hard to put a number on how long it took to build it, right? So uh, one of the previous questions somebody asked is, how long does it take to get Databricks up and going? And I was like, oh, I don't know, a couple hours. You can have a workspace up and be processing some data pretty shortly here. But there's a difference between that. And like I said, we moved everything over. So that includes our scheduling and everything else. And you might say scheduling. Well, yes, because similar to other companies, all of our source systems are still running on batch. So it's great that we could run real time, but these batch systems, I've got to wait for you know, SAP to go through a certain amount of there are processes that happen once a day in order to pick up that data when it's done. So scheduling or, you know, how do I, when a job fails, how am I going to know that things are failing and that data is not processing? So there's a big difference between starting up a warehouse and, or starting up a resource rather uh, workspace getting data in and processing all of your reporting data according to SLAs that have already been set for reporting, right? So we started in like 2017 with a POC that we did and, and we started you know, talking to Microsoft about planning this out. We did not get introduced to Databricks until uh, 2018. So what I like to say is from the time that we were introduced to Databricks to the time we went with our first uh, piece of a major piece of our go live was about, it was April to September. So it was that six months or so, yeah. But we had a lot of work that was going on behind there. And also uh, at the same time, Microsoft was really moving along, uh, moving along with some of its like data factory is a big one. So we use data factory to get data from all of our source systems. And that was going through major changes at that same time. And uh, so we were, we were constantly in touch with the data factory team <laughs> trying to get it to where, uh, where it needed to be for our usage. So a lot of that was going on in that 2002-2018 timeframe. But yeah, by 2018, we were pushing major things into production. So that's actually a very fast timeline. What has been the feedback from your team so far? Is there anything that they miss about their on-prem world? Uh, how especially has COVID changed things now that everybody's remote? Does it enable easier access now that everything's on the cloud and in Databricks? Yeah. Yeah, that, that piece is nice. The, you know, we don't have to be on VPN to access most everything. Once we get into the data warehouse, we do. But sure, everything's super easy and people can be out and still support something if they need to or whatever it is. Um, the team was really pleased with, with the platform. So I would have, uh, you know, I don't know that we would have continued with it if, it, if, if everybody wasn't. Um, but when we switched everybody over, uh, you know, there were just a lot of comments about the speed. It's much faster, right? You <clears throat> on, uh, on data lake and using Databricks and you can process data quite a bit faster than you can on a traditional BI platform. So uh, pretty hands down, everybody that came over, even folks that had, have worked on uh, SAP and DW, which, you know, they came over and talked about the speed as well. So um, you know, we get a lot of our, our data from SAP and uh, those systems are fast. The data lake is fast. Everybody's very pleased. Yeah. So you, you had mentioned before there was like a 70% uh, 
per reduction in pipeline creation time and reduced ETL workloads. So, and that probably has some, a little bit to do with you know your usage with the data lakes, uh, the Azure da Data Factory that you called out, Databricks, um, and and I believe also Delta Lake as well. But I'm just in addition to the performance, right? How is it different running and operating these new systems, right? Because the, the, I'm sure there's a your the people were working for you, they had a big switch in terms of how they d used to do things on those on-prem systems. And then they had to both migrate to the cloud and new the use these new systems. I'm just curious, how was that shift for them? Okay, yeah. So we have a 70%, we had a really big, uh, a really big jump in how fast we could bring data. And most of that has to do with um, the way that we bring data in. So we, when we get it into the Delta Lake, uh, from our source systems, we were able to um, configure that so that it's just a matter of configuration. You're not writing new code every time you're bringing in source data. It's just a configuration and you dump it out to the configuration and bam, everything's getting loaded, which is really nice. Uh, our compliments to our tech lead on that one, on creating that. Uh, you, we still have, you know, we still have work where we have to create the data assets. So when you're doing BI reporting, you get all this source data in, but then there's a lot of data manipulations that have to happen in order to get it into either a relational or a dimensional model, applying quite a bit of business logic. And that piece is where uh, the developers come into play. And, and I, we definitely haven't seen a 70% de decrease in time there because that's where the work is happening, right? Somebody has to code that and somebody has to code it according to some requirements. But what was nice about the platform is, um, like I said, everybody knows SQL. So when we started, everybody was doing all of their code in Spark SQL, why they absorbed how this new platform worked, right? And slowly over, I would say like 2019 and part of 2020, people were shifting to Python. And now everybody is developing in Python, you know, and they're sharing back and forth how to better do things in Python. And, how to get faster performance when you use this, this versus this. And so we've seen a lot of, of growth in that. And, you know, we even have a little mini project right now where we're gonna go back and look at some of those things that we originally developed and try to get those times down as a, as a cost saving so like performance improvements of things that people have learned recently. So, or over the last year. Um, and so you've got that and that's what makes that easy for people to come on to our platform as well. So how did everyone switch over to Python? I'm very intrigued by that because often I find that people that don't have a programming background or a computer science background, they feel very comfortable in SQL and they're hesitant to switch to any other programming language. What were the resources that you provided them or what was the motivation for them to switch to Python? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I didn't provide them any resources. So I would say that... <laughs> Like we, uh, we definitely hired a couple of people that were developers. So we made a shift in how we hired, right? So we're not looking for that ETL tool school skill anymore. We're looking for folks that had, you know, I knew that way back in, I think 2017 is when I hired the first person that knew C sharp, you know, I was like, I hired a coder. I was like, I can't hire this. I need these people who know, who know these things. And, um, I, those ETL developers though, are very sharp people as well. So they're teaching each other. I, they're taking Python classes out on LinkedIn learning and out on the web and they're looking at examples and then they're going forward. So 
I, I think everybody this day and age in tech has to be able to do that, right? Like you see a lot of that. It's not, you know, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, we would send people to a one week class. You just don't see that much anymore. It's, there's so many um, resources available on the web and such. And just these people, a lot of these people that came from the original team were ETL developers and, and used to tools, but they've made that shift naturally. <laughs> so compliments to them for learning. And Oh, I, I completely understand where uh, you're the progression uh, that you did. Uh, when I in one of my previous jobs, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I uh, hire the, my first set of hires were specifically Python developers as well. I had a bunch of ETL SQL developers, and then exactly like you called out, they were helping each other out. Uh, so that way, the ETL developers themselves actually started learning Python, right? And it was it was great. So watching that progression, and then so when we started talking about data science, you know, at a later junction, they're like, "Oh, cool, we can do it now." It's like, "Yep, that's the point, right?" And but uh, so <laughs> my original question is, what do you think is the hidden value of your migration? I was a, <laughs> I was about to answer saying, "Oh, it's probably getting everybody to learn Python," but I'm sure you have other thoughts in terms of what you think the hidden value of the of your Hadoop migration here. The hidden value of the Hadoop migration is, um, I, have, I have several things. So we did not, I, I, when I did our first episode, uh, first estimates on cost, I did like what it would move to move our current stuff over. And then if we saw growth at, you know, such and such a percent for, I had to do seven years for seven years and what it would be if we saw explosive growth and I called it explosive and, you know, I put some big numbers on there, but that's exactly what we've seen is that explosive gross number, growth number. I didn't know that we would see that. Uh, we had business units that, you know, came on, we, we had uh, money thrown at us, hire people and bring this, do this and do, you know, bring all this stuff on. Things have changed a little bit with COVID, uh, you know, uh, naturally we're a retail company. So there's, you know, there's been a little bit of containment there, but, um, Back in like uh, 2019 was just a really big year. We brought in all kinds of new data and created all kinds of new data assets. So I did not necessarily see that coming. And, and that was wonderful, right? It was a scramble for us to try to keep that data warehouse really locked down and, and make sure that we weren't creating multiple models where we didn't need them and things like that. But that was the scramble. But it was in a good way. We were really adding a lot of value with all that, those additional data sources. So, the, but one of the um, really great things to watch is we, they funded a little DTC, what we call DTC analytics team, which is direct to consumer and retail. And that's where you're really getting into those consumer uh, questions. And so we have an analytics team out there that just kind of Kind of works steadily on bringing in other data sources that aren't really you know required by the rest of the enterprise and they're really doing a lot of work on consumer analytics so what is the lifetime value or marketing plans they work with the marketing team and it's just kind of like a little under the covers team that's working away doing all these great things with consumers and really excited about that i've always thought that consumer analytics is you know, that's where you're going to get some serious ROI. So I'm excited to see what that team can produce. And, you know, like I've said, we all have brands of clothing that we love where they're really doing that interaction with us and paying attention. And that's, that's what this team can do. They can make, 
you know, work with these consumers so that, you know, Columbia is their brand. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing the output from as they continue down the line of what they're doing. But that, there's a little hidden value there. So along with the reduction in pipeline creation time, it sounds like this has enabled you to go after new use cases. What's one of the new use cases that you can solve using data lakes that you couldn't solve using your uh, legacy system? Um, I would say, so a lot of people talk about, a lot of things that I read talk about using your data lake for big data. Uh, it's always it's always that kind of thing. But what I've seen as a benefit of the way that we've done it and having all of our compute on the data lake is that we can take those, uh, like, I, like I said with our BI reporting, most of it's very, um, you know, you've got to be rock solid on the numbers and the things that you're producing accuracy and, and SLAs and everything else. And then you, you can take all these other, you can take some other data sources, right? We haven't done it yet, but we could bring in Facebook or we could bring in weather or we could bring in, you know, weather actually RV is coming in, but different data sources. And you can take those less accurate data sources and then combine it with these data assets that have already been created. So for example, if somebody's coming on to do data science, they don't have to take the source data and and do their data science like, oh, but I forgot about returns or I forgot about this. I have to calculate this. I have to calculate this because that's already been calculated in that data that's produced for those assets for reporting. So they can use those, you know, those, those business assets that have, that have been created with all of that due diligence and they can join it up with any other kind of data source that doesn't necessarily have that accuracy or that control, but they have that starting point. And I think that that's, a real benefit on the lake. So is there any advice that you would give people when they're trying to plan out this migration to the cloud, to data lakes, enabling Python developers? What advice do you have for other folks that are planning the same transition that Columbia went through? Yeah, well, as far as the tech goes, I would do a really solid POC. I would make sure that, you know, you can get something in there and, and try it out and make sure that you can get the value from it that you're looking for. Um, there's a lot of different, like I was mentioning before, there's a lot of different ways that you can go at this. You could decide just to do a small piece of something, or you can decide to go all in and there's everything in between. We were in that all in camp. Um, we did do a POC. There were a couple of things after the end of that POC where we're like, hmm, we can't really seem to schedule jobs. And I don't remember it was 2017. And there was one other thing. And I was like, oh, I'm sure we'll be able to figure that out. Figuring out out was really hard. So uh, that's that is where we I would I would say make sure I learned a lesson there, right? Make make sure your POC has some like checkpoints and, and don't sign off on a POC until you've hit them. Uh, that was our experience with that. That's all changed now. The, the system is completely different. Uh, that's what you should expect with cloud as well. That's what I recently told uh, my boss. It's like we need to allocate some resources to. Uh, constantly be pushing us forward on the new capabilities of the platform, whether that be, you know, Databricks or Data Warehouse or whatever it is, whatever uh, resource that we're using. Um, and then the, like, the other surprise was 
that this was more of an enterprise effort than I anticipated. Uh, you know, I thought we were just going to be moving what we had before on one platform to another, but that definitely blew up into much more of an enterprise project in a great way. I can't tell you how, how positive that's been. And it did bring about all those questions with governance and security and, and things like that. So I think you've got to figure out which direction you want to go. I've talked to other companies that just do data science on their, on their Azure platform and they've kept their BI before. And I've talked to companies that want to move the whole thing over. You, you know, you've got to just figure out which direction you want to go and then expect lots of surprises. As with any migration. Well, thanks for providing this sage advice on for migrating enterprises to the cloud, data lakes and lake houses. Uh, this has been a great session around building BI on data lakes, making it real for retail with Laura Miner uh, from Columbia. Uh, really appreciate you taking time out from your very busy schedule uh, for joining our Databrew Vidcast today. So thanks very much. Thanks for having me.